listening to episode 142 of the SBP podcast, Mobile Filmmaking, and I'm your host, Susie Botello. We are getting so much closer to the International Mobile Film Festival in San Diego, the 12th annual edition. I'm really excited about that. I wanted to make sure that you don't miss out on it. It's happening April 28th, 29th, and 30th at Marina Village Conference Center. And uh, it's going to be a blast. All right, I'm going to make this quick because we had a great conversation with Luis Fernandez. He's a feature filmmaker who uh, shot his film. It was called Desconocidas Unknowns, which is screening in our film festival. He shot it. It's... um, Well, you know what? It's quite experimental in the way that it was done, but a great accomplishment. And I think you're going to be really inspired uh, by what he shares. So let's go. Let's talk to Luis now. Hey, Luis, where are you right now? I'm in L.A., Susie. Great ah, talking to you. The city of angels. Yeah, I'm I, an angel, though. <laughs> it's a pleasure talking to you, and I'm glad that you came on our show uh, to share and to inspire everyone that's out there right now listening. Um, Luis, you are um, one of the filmmakers that's going to come on in our film festival in person. And you're also uh, an actor and a filmmaker, a performer, a speaker. Uh, you're you're an everything guy. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, your film is one of the feature films that that will be screening at the festival, uh, and this is in April 28th through the 30th of April. Uh, well, I said that twice. It's a big month. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. exciting, so exciting, so exciting, Susie. We never thought, you know, wildest dreams that are experiment. It wasn't even a movie when we started, you know, putting it together. We never even uh, dreamed that that our movie shot on on our phones were was going to end up uh, being screened at a movie theater. And I'm so grateful to your festival and to this opportunity to be in person, which is, I mean, I cannot stress that enough after what we went through that last couple of years, Mm -hmm. to be in person sharing with people live. It's it's an amazing, I mean, we we cannot take for granted those um, experiences anymore. No, we cannot. And I got to tell you, I was, I felt like I wasn't in my element last year because of those two years, you yeah, know, uh, of you. that. But this year, oh my God, let me tell you, it's going to be awesome. Uh, we are ready uh, for a bigger comeback that we than we did last year. Your film is called Desconocidas, yes, which um, means uh, well, you translated it even in the title also, but uh, is unknowns. Uh, tell us a little bit about the film for those who are going to watch it in our film festival. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, this is this this is truly an experiment. Um, it happened right during quarantine. Um, for a long time, I mean, we come from Venezuela, my wife and I, we were both actors and writers and producers and 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 we create we've been creating our own uh, projects for 20 years now. 
mostly for the stage. And uh, we've been living in the U.S. for the last eight years. And uh, uh, our country, I mean, Venezuelans uh, have been migrating in masses. We have like six million Venezuelans scattered all over the planet. Mm, a lot of them, a lot of them are our audience. So we would, we've been trying to figure out a way to connect back with them. Uh, but I'm talking they're all over from Sydney to Sweden, from Spain to to the U.S. So uh, it, it was it was very we didn't know how to do that. And while we were quarantining, I was uh, on my phone 24 seven, like the rest of us um, looking at the news, you know, reading everything and trying to figure out what was going on out, out, out there. And my wife told me that's Mimi Lazo, producer and star of the movie. She said, you know what, you're going to use what you have on in your hand to to start telling our stories and to, you know, to recreate what we've been doing on stage because we discovered Zoom as a tool to connect that we didn't. I mean, we knew it, it existed, but we didn't know how useful could it could it be just, you know, to create and to connect. So we started um, we, she called uh, her friend uh, and a, a brilliant writer, Monica Montañez, who was coincidentally uh, working on uh, uh, a project of uh, of a master she did in the arts uh, about immigration. And she had this random uh, set of scenes about her true story about migrating to Madrid with her daughter and her mother who was suffering from Alzheimer's. And so she sent over those pages and there were incredible. And Mimi called her uh, acting coach and fabulous actress, uh, Veronica Lo. She was in Chile. She's eight, she was 83 at the time and retired. And she said, you're not, you, I mean, you, you're coming out of retirement and you're going to act. And she said, how? Well, we're going to do this via Zoom and shot on iPhones. <laughs> and, and, and then this happened. Um, and it was a, it was a, a fantastic Wait, experience. So, so you you guys were going to do this already and then the pandemic happened? No, no, no. It was after the pandemic. Oh, we, OK. Yeah. We came up with the idea of having Mimi was we were in Madrid at the time. Yeah. Uh, Veronica, who plays her mom, was in Santiago de Chile. And the uh, the, the girl that plays uh, Mimi's daughter is was in L.A. And we just created, you know, uh, one apartment with three rooms that were in different cities different countries but it appears to be one single apartment in the film um, now i gotta tell you that was mesmerizing for me you know because you had to do that with the cinematography yeah yeah i, I, I want to talk about that but but go on tell tell us more about no, it was just story. i mean we yeah. didn't we didn't know how to make that work at all but we we were able to workshop it as a as you do when you have because i mean what what happened during the pandemic and in terms of uh, movie uh, storytelling with with the phones is that you, the excuses that all filmmakers uh, come up with for not doing their films because they're afraid, basically, is because they don't have the budget. But when you have when you can tell them with the phone, um, then there's no excuse. And so we were thrown and the resources because the, the resources all center around the camera, because if you have no camera and you have everything else, you still don't have a film. Exactly. So when you have it in your hand and so there was no excuse. So let's do this. And what is this? That was a question. How do you make this work? Uh, and it was a workshop. And we, you know, the moment we started rehearsing and reading, uh, 
via Zoom uh, in, with the actors in three different countries, we realized that in the Zoom meeting, we felt so close and it was so intimate that that was the spirit that we wanted to have in the film. And uh, and then it, it just happened. And then to add an element of, of, of um, complexity, because why not, if you're experimenting, <laughs> <laughs> let's do it with a live audience via Zoom watching uh, the shoot. And so we... Um, we captured wow. all the scenes with a live audience watching via Zoom, uh, and it was incredible. It was a mixture of theater, uh, uh, cinema, and this whole new uh, format. I don't know how to call it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. Um, it's a parallel to to the standard um, traditional uh, film industry. I believe so, and and I and I truly I was telling you before we started uh, talking on air is that the you guys you you're a pioneer in in this um, celebration of storytelling uh, captured in our mobile phones because we we I mean I remember when we didn't have a phone in our hands in the nineties. I was I was uh, you know I was growing up in the nineties and we I, I had to go and call on a public phone. Uh, my parents when I wasn't come, coming home because I was in a party. And now everyone takes for granted this. And actually, this is a tool that is so powerful that we're using it to the t just 10% of its, you know, what we could do with it. And uh, so you've been a pioneer in celebrating film storytelling with the iPhone, with the phones. And, yeah, and that's the, that's the true driver for this as storytelling is for everything else. Is the most powerful thing that we have as human beings on this earth is our stories and right. being able to express them and to share them. That's more powerful than money. And I've uh, <laughs> listeners who've listened to me in other podcasts know that I always say during the apocalypse, what brings people together as a community so that they can fight the zombies, it's not money. It's their stories because that builds trust. Of course. And the possibility of connection, Susie, you know that I, I've been researching happiness and suffering just because why not? Uh, and then uh, w one of the main sources of pain and suffering in in the human uh, thought process is isolation. Yes. And and with the pandemic, we were in quarantining and we were more isolated than ever. And all of a sudden, just because we, we we saw the opportunity, we actually ended up connecting with our audience scattered all over the world at the very same time. Uh, and it was so powerful. And it was right there. We didn't see it because we didn't have to. But, you know, COVID forced us. And and so it's, it's kind of a blessing that came with this tragedy. Um, and we have to kind of see it and, and, and not go back to the old patterns, because one of the things that um, uh, we also came up in the workshop is that usually when I whenever I see because I've seen a lot of films shot on phones right now, of wonderful, wonderful films from China, from Canada, from Germany, from all over. And um, and the story, the level of storytelling and the, 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 the quality of the image, the visuals are striking because you can actually put your phone where no other Alexa can be. You can do that. So we have, you know, there's a plus here. But 
when we were workshopping this, we kind of came up with a concept and it was, how about we tell this story by hacking into the devices of the characters? And so breaking the fourth wall and uh, uh, just bringing in the audience to spy, to hack the conversation between the, the, the character that is in the room and then just calls the daughter in the other room because that's what we do. We, right. don't, even, you, we don't even stand up and go to the other room and knock at the door and open the door. It was so natural, yes. So it was organic. And then just the fact that you can actually feel that you're invading the space uh, kind of even uncomfortably, it's like you shouldn't be watching this because this is very intimate. It just gives the whole experience an intimacy level that was a big, big surprise for us. You also had one of the things that I always emphasize a lot, which it, regardless of what whether you're filming with a smartphone or not, uh, it, it's hard with uh, a lot of films to focus on the characters. But the characters in narrative film are the stories they are the they are the main uh participants in in that story it's um it's very important to have good actors and you accomplished that in your film and that is part of the driver for such a good story because um so one of the ways that I watch the films here when I'm screening them for the festival is I turn off all the lights. I watch them at night. I have these huge speakers, <laughs> you know, and I put it on the biggest screen I can find at home. I only have two. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but what I do is I, I really sit down and I and I try to make it as best as possible so that I can get the real effect. Yeah. And one of the things is that I completely forgot that I was screening a film for the festival shot on a phone. And that was because I, I became, and that's, that's when I know it's a good film. I, I, I became one of your hackers. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's the idea. That's what we were, you know, after that we didn't know if it was accomplishable, uh, but we wanted just to, you know, to strive for that, to aim for that, uh, uh, sensation of, this is actually happening right now. And I'm kind of hacking into these women's phones and Jesus, it's very intimate what I'm seeing. And, 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 and then you forget, you just get, you know, the thing is, here's the thing. Uh, my wife is one of the stars of the movie Mimi. Uh, mm-hmm. she's a magnificent actor. And then she starts working. I mean, she calls in to play her mom. He called, she calls in her acting teacher, a phenomenal actor. And then we have this girl that we know here in LA who's a phenomenal actor. So the, the level of talent, uh, well, my, I myself, I'm an actor, so I wouldn't work with actors that are not good because I know, as you say, that if the actors are not good, then you, you better not do anything because why are you going to do this? People are not stupid right? And, and they're very sophisticated in, in, um, I mean, come on, the level of acting that you see in films right now are so powerful and so good that we just get used to that. I mean, we, we don't we have a, a threshold of of not tolerating bad acting that is very, very high. We are I not believe. supposed to even notice. You're supposed to just fall into right. them and not notice that they're acting. That's exactly. the whole point. That's You're not supposed point. to really be acting. So it was very easy for me as a director because when they were reading, they just, you know, they just 
they dove into this whole thing and they were so into it that it was mesmerizing to watch them read. And then the, the depth of the analysis that they did on the, you know, on the, on the, on analyzing the script and, you know, piecing it together and also bringing in their own stories, because that's one of the things that this is a story about immigration. I have yeah. to say, I haven't yeah. said it before. It's a story about what, I mean, we define ourselves, Susie, uh, because of, you know, our job, this is our my house. This is my family. This is my country, and so on and so forth. And these are my memories. This is my, are my memories. So what? It, what? Who are you, Susie? When you lose everything, when you're in a different country, in a different house, you don't recognize. You don't have enough space to to just unpack the boxes of things you brought from your country. And what if, on top of that, your mother? happens to has have Alzheimer Alzheimer's and then she starts forgetting uh, that so is, yeah the story the story so, was so deep it's, it's it's just so sad and so oh gut-wrenching. Uh, it's gut-wrenching actually and and this is something that happens to Monica Montañez the writer and as she was um, sharing it with us uh, I was going through exactly the same thing because my mom has Alzheimer's as well. And, and I, I didn't go back to Venezuela in five years. And when I got back, she didn't remember me. There's always uh, something real. There's a trauma that comes from the immigration that uh, most people that haven't had, haven't come from immigrant parents, uh, they can't even understand. It's, it's a pain that you just have to live with for the rest of your life. And uh, it was it was uh, Veronica who plays the, the the grandmother who's losing her mind. She migrated three times in her lifetime. She went to Chile, to Argentina, from Argentina to Caracas, Venezuela, and then back to Chile, which was her third immigration. She was coming back to her country and feeling feeling as an outsider in her own country. So the the level of of detail that they brought into the story, the actors was amazing and uh, of course everything is there it, it, it's beautiful to see them act and bring their own lives and the other thing Susie, let me tell you we were shooting during quarantine so the bedrooms are our own bedrooms mimi's bedroom veronica's bedroom nina's bedroom uh, uh, and their own stuff their own photographs wow. so they're they're using their own props from their real life so that was a, an amazing something I didn't think about until we were shooting and it was, oh my God, she's using actually her own photographs to to try to remember her life. That was a gift. And, and the, you know, the thing is that it, 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 it's it's a bit like a quilt. Right. You know, I, yeah. I, I, it's it's like this fabric, right? And pieces of, of fabric in, inside of them all connecting. And I mean that from the stories of the different characters to the locations Mm-hmm. Right. And the space within the location, how everything looked what you were stitching everything together to become one space. Right. That was that was a um, I didn't know. We didn't know if we could pull that off. Uh, and uh, we worked a lot to make it, you know, possible. And um, the, the fact that you, you know, get sunk into the story and you don't see the details, you can never tell who is where in the story and you just believe that they're in the same apartment from the beginning that's a a big accomplishment um in the in the process of shooting this 
let's talk a little bit about you while we're already <laughs> almost oh, in the my, middle of this. Yes, my tell favorite us a, subject. <laughs> yeah, no, let's let's go there. Let's let's t- let's share with people who Luis is. Luis Fernandez. Luis Fernandez. Yeah. Who am I? Jesus, that's a good question. You know, that is the first question that is asked in the film. Who are you? What a difficult question to ask. I don't know. I have no idea. We spend our lifetimes looking, searching uh, for the answer. Exactly, until you (laughs) understand that uh, there's no answer. It's just the process of asking yourself the same question over and over again. There's no answer. It's just, you know, it it just varies according to where you stand in that moment in time. Uh, Who am I? I'm a son of immigrants. Uh, my grandparents are from Spain. They migrated to Cuba. Then my parents migrated from Cuba to Venezuela. I was born in Venezuela. Uh, I started architecture and I started acting when I was 16. So by the time I graduated from architecture, I uh, I knew that that was my hobby and acting was my uh, true calling of my profession, which didn't make my mother happy at all. And... I started acting as a way of uh, know myself to to figure out who I was because I was very shy. And then by playing other people, I kind of allowed myself to be myself, to speak my own voice through the voices of other characters I was playing. And then I met Mimi when Mimi and I have been together for 28 years when we were doing a play together. And uh, we Mimi's a... Uh, Mimi's a powerhouse. She, she's uh, one of the biggest stars in Latin America and a great producer and a visionary. And we started, you know, working on our own uh, projects after we realized there's um, one. I mean, we, we wanted to tell stories that nobody else was writing for us. So we just teamed up with writers like Monica Montañez and others who, who came up with the stories we wanted to talk about. And our goal has always been to put the the magnifying glass and the complicated questions of life. Uh, and we've been doing so through comedy, drama, musicals. And uh, here we are now exploring this audiovisual format that we're fascinated with. It's funny that you said <laughs> your hobby was architecture. Yeah, it's a very expensive <laughs> hobby, I should say. Very expensive one. Yeah. Yeah, because usually it's the other way around. People use acting as a hobby. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't just say acting. They use their passion. Right. That was my mother's, you know, expectations. She wanted to, you know, she wanted to keep me acting as a hobby. And I was, I was, you know, I was so young. I was 17 when I told my mom, I want to be an actor. And she was freaking out. <laughs> Dude, you're studying architecture. You're going to be a serious, respectable professional, not a <laughs> actor. What is that? So when I graduated, I just gave her my my title and uh, I said, well, now I'm off to the theater and uh, she wasn't happy. I don't think she ever was. It was a disappointment for her a big time. Uh, But it is what it is. I'm, you know, I'm happy I was brave enough to pursue my passion when I was 16 and not pay attention to what others, including my parents, wanted me to do. Uh, otherwise, I would be a very respected architect and a very unhappy one. And that's how you go from a path to a journey. There you, you go. You step from your, 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 the ideal profession, which is your path, right? Your career mm-hmm. path, uh, into your passion, which is the love of your life, right? 
-hmm. And that's your journey. That's where you really grow and expand. And as an actor, what what if um, uh, what kind of acting roles did you did you pursue or did you get? Do you know what, Susie? Now, because uh, you know, I've been exploring the filmmaking part of it, the writing part of of the of our our industry more and more. That. Uh, of the storytelling being behind the cameras more and more because I've been acting since I'm 16. And one thing I realized that I, I, I hate nostalgia because it's not, yeah, I don't know. It's dangerous, I believe. <laughs> but when you look back, when, when you, when you ask me that question, and I, because I've been asked that question. And when I, when I look back, I realized that um, not only I was pursuing my passion, I was fiercely doing so. And I remember early on in my career, um, I got offered parts that no other actor wanted to play. And I'm talking about, you know, like I remember when when Brokeback Mountain came, came, they came up in the movies and it was such a big deal because Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, and the other guy were doing this gay. Keith Ledger. Uh, Keith, Keith Ledger. Oh, one of my God, favorites. The genius. <laughs> the genius. And they were doing this gay uh, romance uh, on screen and everyone was so, oh my God, what a big deal. Like 10 years before that, I was doing that in Latin America. So looking back, I was kind of, um, uh, I I didn't pay attention to what others said, including my manager and so on. So uh, I think that we have to use our, our whatever talent we have, Susie, to talk about things that are uncomfortable. And I've been talking, today I was talking to Monica Montañez, who wrote this, the, the script for Desconocidas, and she, we were talking about how, of course, we have our egos and we want to do great stuff for people to say that we are fantastic. That's, you know, that's part of the job, that we are actors and, you know, we, that's part of our job. But when what you do becomes uh, a service to uh, for a higher purpose, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, excuse my cliche, but for a higher purpose, then then there's a reward that is worth more than an award. It's really important. You, you feel that your job is relevant and then you're serving a purpose that is beyond the gratification of your ego. And that is amazing. And I, ha- I had the opportunity way before, a couple of years before this whole uh, inclusion of uh, uh, gender diverse people in the film industry. I had the opportunity, and this is a movie I did called Tamara, and it's the real story of the first transgender congressperson elected to a Congress in America. And she's Venezuelan, Tamara Adrian. And she was my friend, and I interviewed her in my radio show for, for many times. And then a, a story about her life came about, a movie. And, mm-hmm. I, and they called me to play her my friend. And I said, well, I'm not a trans person. I'm a cisgender person. And the director told me, yeah, but you're the best person to play the part. Uh, And so I did. And it was at that moment, uh, the transgender community opened their arms, their very generous arms to me, a very ignorant cisgender patriarchal, patriarchally raced uh, guy and opened my mind way beyond the very limiting uh, binary conception of gender. And I said, oh my God, this is amazing. So I, by just me daring to play that part, uh, I became a better person in doing so. So 
what an amazing journey if you have that opportunity to to you know embark upon that and it, it became the, the highest grossing film in Venezuela in 2016. And it, we're talking about the story of a trans person in Venezuela, Latin America, where, where they kill transgenders in the streets. Yeah. So that gave me uh, an answer. Audiences are not only ready, they are hungry uh, for stories that are uh, beyond the 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 boundaries of what we consider politically correct or normal because we need to evolve and they're asking for it audiences are asking it for asking for it and we as storytellers we need to address that need and we need also to include uh, all kinds of people in the process of creating and you know that's that's the key thing right there um I think it was like 2007, 2008, where every movie that you that was playing at a home box office movie, right, was um, some sort of a superhero movie or action film. And the stories were just uh, very generic. It was all there just to make money. And that's why I feel that independent filmmaking is so, so, so powerful to the industry of film more so than people I mean on the surface Hollywood is right there at the forefront and they'll always be there of course and it's and there's no point in fighting it I mean I love Hollywood yeah but, but you have also have to love to Leslie this year it's it's an, it's an amazing thing that a, that a very small film is actually uh has a, an, an Oscar nominated actor in the forefront and they had no money to promote that because it's just political and then when you see that just with social media you can push an actor to the front of the line and just have her work seen and people voting for her. That's amazing. Times are changing and it's awesome to be part of that change. Yes, most definitely it is. And, and again, it's all about the, the stories and that's what I love about that. And the fact that you do have, you were talking about Brokeback Mountain and that mm -hmm. was an independent film when it first came out. It wasn't until they got all the attention that it got that the studios came in and uh, they wanted to, because I remember uh, when that film came out, I'm that old. <laughs> uh, oh, come I remember, on. Yeah. But H, I remember when it came out and I yeah. went to movies to see it. Yeah. And there were lines of people around buildings in the smaller local theaters because the, the, the major theaters weren't playing it yet. And it wasn't until later that they said, right. well, you know what? We want the money of the masses of people that are, you know, lined up around the theaters, um, the smaller theaters. And and that's when that happened. You know, um, it's not a bad thing. Uh, Broke Bat Mountain won a bunch of awards. Uh, because of that, and it, um, you know, the, uh, I forgot the name of the director. Ang Lee. Yes, Ang Lee. So it brought a lot, you know, to him as well, mm -hmm. you know, from that point forward. Yeah. So, yes, of course, there's there's benefits to Hollywood. But, it, but a lot of people, you know, it's, it's so going back to the mobile filmmaking thing, um, you know, I had a lot of people that a lot of friends and a lot of people that I worked with who were dying to get into the Hollywood scene. Right. And, you, you know, as soon as somebody finds out you're an actor or that you work on a film or whatever, they want you to help them get in. Right. You know, for me, I've always 
felt a little bit of guilt about that. Probably one of the things that pushed me into this uh, with empathy right. is the fact that I, I was privileged in that sense because I was accidentally pushed into it uh, by counselors at school. I was going to be a paralegal, Luis. Oh. <laughs> yes. I didn't know what I was going to be. Oh, because, thank God we you know, didn't lose you two. No, right? lawyer's <laughs> office. Jesus. So, uh, well, that was just my trick to get uh, to pass the bar exam and become an attorney. And I thought I was going to help people that way. Right. But my my artist inclination when I was a child was dubbed just as yours was mm. because everybody said, you know, you you can't do that. You need to do this. You need to do something different. They didn't say right. this, just something different. And I didn't know what to do. So I spent half my life lost. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. And so the privilege of being able to work in video and then films and things like that was something that came to me. I didn't go begging for it. And for people to come to me and beg for it, I felt like you shouldn't have to come to me and beg me. The thing that. is, Susie, I believe that, I mean, and this sounds also as a cliche and everyone says it when, when they're, uh, you know, in a privileged position, I am not in that level of privilege, but they, they used to say, well, create your own way in just create your own way in. And I think that you're doing a great job in promoting this because a lot of people, I've been experimenting with uh, mobile filmmaking or storytelling, I should say, uh, in different projects. And whenever uh, I get my project out there seen by someone, they tell me, oh, I liked it a lot. Now you're ready to make a real movie. And I said, well, no, this is a real movie. Exactly. I mean, come on, I don't need an Alexa. Jesus, I'm doing a real movie, and 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 this is it. Uh, it, it. And it's a whole genre in itself. It's just a mobile filmmaking, and with no concession. You don't have to make concessions. It's not going to be worse or better. It's just going to be a compelling story told. It just happened to to be shot on devices. That's the only different thing. And um, uh, so to be proud of what you're doing with a phone, is it, it, and not you know aspiring to now let's do it with the, the the next big camera that comes my way. It's just it doesn't make a difference when you have a powerful story. People are not thinking about the you know the very tiny technical detail of the whole thing. They're just pulled in. You know who is thinking about it though, Luis? Who? People who dream and feel like they can't get there without a big camera, and that's why I like to point out. And it was shot with a phone. Because right. then it inspires them. Really, I have that. I have this phone. You're going to see at the film festival, Louise, people who go there to watch a movie and they're looking at it and they're going, wait, I have a phone like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, any, everyone, all of us, we have a phone in our hands. Who happens and a to be story. A, we, we, we all have a story. Yep. Everyone has a story to tell. And we have a phone that happens to shoot in 4K to be protected in the biggest screen. Mm -hmm. So go out there and tell your story. Write it down. Do your work. Do the homework. And, and surround yourself with people, creative people that will just join you in this effort. The, the, I think that the, the, the biggest challenge that you have as a promoter of mobile filmmaking is that you are taking away the sacred excuse of the filmmaker. You know, the insecurity of the filmmaker is so big and the self-doubt 
is so powerful that you start saying, I, 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 I can't, I haven't shot my film because I don't have the budget. You know, the process is so complicated. I have to, you know, pitch my, my story and people have to put a lot of money in it and so on and so forth. And that is not true. You're just telling people in their faces, you're not doing your film because you don't want to, because because you can do it with all that. Yes, but what happens to to people a lot, it, psychologically, right? You get used to saying, I can't do this, I can't do this, and you become that character, right, that can't do this thing. And that becomes the rest of your life doing that. And, and that feels comfortable because you've been saying that for so long. But you have to step outside and say, I can do it. And Susie, I'm going to do it this way. This podcast has turned into a self-help workshop. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Our industry specifically, I mean, we are in front of the camera. We are being judged constantly by others. People ha always have an opinion about you and your work. And then you and your work becomes, you know, that line becomes blurry. And then the opinions are about you, not about what you do. And then it, it becomes a whole mess. But we have to do our let's say our soul searching process and in the end susie what happens i believe is that you you particularly are kind of a super villain because what what do a, what does a super villain do they come and try to change things and then the superheroes will go out of their way to stop you and make things stay the way they are so you're going to get a lot of resistance in bringing this. I, I bet you had already. But oh, gosh, you don't even know. Right. Yes. So I'm happy to be a, to join your supervillain club and tell people, <laughs> listen, this can be done. If you're not shooting your film, it's because you don't want to and because you're afraid. So go out with your phone and shoot it. I got a lot of resistance when I first put it out. You know where I put it? We've met already on LinkedIn. Uh, that's exactly where I shared it. And I had a, I have a group there. It's called the San Diego video network. And I said, Hey guys, I'm doing this. And my entire network said, bye. Right. <laughs> and I did get people message me and say, you know, things like, are you kidding me? Do you know how insulted I am? I've spent my whole life with, you know, learning, you know, right, right, right. you know, all but, this. And now some kid with a phone and I was like, you got to start rolling somewhere. And we went from film to digital. Calm down. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we, we heard the same thing when we were 35 millimeters and then digital. We heard the same thing. Yeah. Change always has a resistance. And um, I've seen Susie traveling around the, the film festival circuit. I've seen movies that are had, that are brilliant, brilliant. And so, and, and it's not, now they're going to make the next, a real film. No, no, no. These are real, real things, moving yeah. films that I've seen in the big screen. And it's been amazing. So, so. I have to say something. Go ahead. So I've, I've been saying since last summer, I wrote an article and I said, you know, in the mobile filmmaking industry, you know, from other festival founders and things like that, we're always like looking and saying, and we've been doing this since, uh, I, I think it was when Sean Baker made Tangerine. The exactly. That said, is this it? Is this the moment mobile filmmaking goes mainstream? So last summer I wrote an article and said, you have my permission as a pioneer. If you ever needed a permission, you can blame it on me. I'm telling you right now, it is mainstream. Of course Because it is. you shoot it with the phone, 
you shoot it with a camera, you shoot it with a red, whatever you want to shoot it with. Your next step is distribution. Amazon, Tubi, guess what? You shoot it with a phone. Your next step is distribution. Amazon and Tubi, already there. So what what else would make it mainstream? Nothing. We're there. Nothing. Nothing. We're here. So, so you better have a really damn good story to tell and yes. do your job and do your homework and tell it. I mean, if it doesn't go mainstream, it maybe is because of you. So let's own it. Let's own it. That's my point. And let's make mistakes. It's not expensive to make mistakes in this way of telling the stories. It's not expensive. You don't have to have a million dollar movie and fail and and then owe a million dollars to 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 others. You you can do it and fail on your own. And that's amazing. That's an amazing thing. You know the danger of a director who who loves, who fallen falls in love with her film and says it's perfect. That's the dangerous part. I don't know of any wonderful director nah, who doesn't see flaws in every single one of their yeah, films. Yeah, listen, Susie, I was that's how they learn. <laughs> yeah, I had the opportunity to see uh, in the big screen for the first time in a in a festival we went uh, my movie and other movies. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, these movies are fantastic, and they're going to discover. They're going to find out I'm a, <laughs> I'm a liar because when my movie will come up, they'll see that is out of focus here. They'll see the the because that's what you see as a that's director. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But it, yeah, but it, you know what you're saying is crucial, and I'm not saying it happens with my movie necessarily. But uh, the the thing is, uh, you tell a story. If it's a good story, you can tell it in any single medium media you can you can just tell it like they did in the in the early ages or you can shoot it or you can stage it or you can do it in any single format if it's a good story if it's a relevant story if it if it poses difficult questions and you bring people together to ask ourselves the difficult questions together regardless of the answers that we come up after that uh, that is that is worth the effort and that it doesn't really matter so uh, well, that, see, okay, so I think filmmaking, though, is um, the best way to tell a story because of the reach um, that it has for people. Uh, it creates empathy in a way that other ways don't. And I think that's because of all the senses that we have that it's that's involved when you're watching a film. There's no effort involved. You're sitting there and you're crying, right. you know, and you're feeling it and you're feeling empathy for that person poor person right there who is on the sidewalk on the ground getting stepped on you know you're feeling these things in a way that if you read something your imagination takes over so it's you're only getting half the picture right pun intended Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and there's also so many psychological things that happen you know this from from your film uh the gut-wrenching parts of your film and I don't want to give away anything about your film because I want people to come to the festival, meet you, and watch the film. But there's gut-wrenching wrenching parts that you don't see, but you feel. Right. And that's because you did a really good job, and they did a good job as the characters in the acting. But the story in itself, it connects with people. Well, Susie, I'm a child of the movies, and I my mom... Uh, was a very shy person, and I think she escaped her uh, frustrations, her personal frustrations in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. And she took me with her, 
like an uh, like a like a purple rose of Cairo kind of thing. <laughs> and I just you know I was with her. Uh, I was a, a collateral damage of that, and uh, I, as a as a very early, as a very young child, I I understood my mom, my mom's escape through film, and I think that she passed that on to me because we are all, and we don't we don't even notice that because it it just permeates the collective unconsciousness that we are children of the movies, and uh, for the reason that you just said. And it it and I, I I disagree. It's not the it's not the only media because because uh, I'm a child of the theater as well. Right, right. And I was born on stage, I would say. And when I go to a good play, it's just like my church. I mean, I'm not religious. I just go to the theater, <laughs> and I see God. Uh, yeah. And uh, but for 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 the re- but not everyone goes to the theater. But everyone goes to the movies. So it's just a, a, a collective experience, just sitting there. And, and you it's, don't have to know how to read. Right. right? No, you don't can, have to drive anywhere. You don't have to go to where your play is playing, wherever right. it happens to be playing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the part, that's part of the other factor that goes into film, that it's recorded at this time and you can play it. Look at how many, you know, Let's go back to Brokeback Mountain. Let's not go broke over Brokeback Mountain. Right. Uh, but <laughs> but going back to that, that was film. Heath Ledger, unfortunately, is not even alive anymore. And yet you can you can see him yeah, and you can wonderful. feel him every day if you want to. Yeah, well, obviously you and I, we love films, but most people do and they don't even know it. And, yeah, and because it, it, it forms our, 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 our way of understanding the world and our emotions, our, or even our own most complicated emotions um, are explained through movies. And you don't even have to process them rationally, just experience them from a subconscious level. It's effortless. Effortless. Yeah, yeah. It's been very, very powerful. So I, I and I and. People say that movie that movie theaters are dying. People are not going to the movies. I don't believe that. Maybe they are going less now, but they will come back because it's just the collective experience of sitting in a dark room with a bunch of strangers and all at the same time experiencing the same thing. And that is as close as it gets to a spiritual uh, experience. What what do you feel when you're in front of a pastor or whatever religion you you have, and you see a, a something that is more powerful than just us individually, collectively, and it's amazing. Like a I mean, cult. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> and well, I'm I'm privileged to live in Los Angeles and to you know people here go to the movie theaters. But even if you see it in your laptop or in on your phones or while driving or whatever it's or like in the pandemic through zoom exactly so so there there's an infinite uh infinite possibilities of of uh experiencing the audiovisual uh thing uh and being affected by it and especially you know when you go to the gen z's my son for instance he's always on the phone he's he and he's always watching something and uh uh, and it's and it's a different thing. We don't even understand how those brains are wired, but they're going <laughs> to change the industry for yeah. sure, for sure. Even though if you and I go to the movies, uh, to the movie theater and buy our ticket, 
this kids are going to change the, the the film industry for sure as 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 audiences. So it's fascinating to watch it evolve, and at the same time with the paradox, fantastic paradox of of what movie making brings. Uh, we we will always have a movie theater to go to and buy the popcorn and sit down and share with strangers in the dark. Yeah, because like for your mom, the escape, right? Turn off the lights, sit comfortably, and walk into another world. Exactly. And that's why we don't forgive bad movies, boring movies. <laughs> that's why. It's so, <laughs> because it's just a sacred thing for us to do, even if we don't even know that we're doing it. Uh, if, if, if the movie is not telling us something uh, or moving us emotionally in, in some way, uh, it's uh, the waste of the time of the audience is something that uh, you have to take seriously as a filmmaker. So, yeah, it's scary. Yeah. Well, it, it's a very strange world we're living in right now. There's a lot of bad things happening, but the world of movie making and storytelling is thriving as it always was, evolving and just getting better every day, especially with people like you, Luis. Oh, thank you, Susie. Come on. No. Keep creating. Well, I will. I have no other choice. That's the only, that's my survival. That's your passion. My, my smart, my, it, I would say it's my survival tool. I don't think I would be alive if I weren't, I didn't have the, the, the possibility to create. Uh, but you said something, I mean, there's a, ba a lot of bad things happening in the world right now, but there's always been a bad things happening in the world. The thing is that we are just living them and we're, we're not going through second world war and arts and filmmaking for the, the whole 20th century and what we're living of the 21st has been a tool of not only art, but immediate access to people and, uh, Serving the higher purpose, what we talked before, serving to a higher purpose of bringing us together, connecting us, and in, a, in some way, kind of eradicating the suffering, the generic suffering of the world, I would say. I want to ask you one thing more that I don't want to miss this part, and I think it's important with your filmmaking process for your film, is the sound. How, because it was, um, you're basically remote did you travel to every one of these places to film them? No. No. What we did is that I kind of uh, created, I mean, I gathered a little, three little production units in each uh, city. One, one in Santiago, Chile, one in LA, and one in Madrid. Um, and But uh, very little units, like three people, four people the most. Yeah. We were quarantining. So, for instance, uh, Veronica... She was 83 at the time, so it was very difficult to shoot inside her tiny apartment in Chile. Uh, so only two people went in with COVID tests every day to make sure that everything was, you know, safe for her because it was um, dangerous for her health. Yes. Uh, at the very peak of the crisis when we didn't know how bad it was going to be and it was getting worse by the day. So it was kind of scary. So, yeah, but but and I, I, I directed them via Zoom. So that was another challenge to the communication. Hey, I want to see the shot. So bring the computer to the phone and let me see the framing. And it was it was a bit complicated at the beginning. But then we, we kind of uh, and you had a live audience. And yeah, no, I, I, we did we did the whole technical thing. And then we brought in the live audience where we were ready to shoot. We rehearsed it a lot. 
and then uh, we brought in the live audience to watch uh, later on um, because this this was a whole day shoot. We just brought in the the audience when we were doing the scene, and we kind of did. We put phones all over the place. That's the truth. We had uh, like I don't know seven different phones in Chile, uh, three different phones in 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 LA, and and like ten phones in Madrid. So we were shooting the whole thing. I mean, the whole everything was already the phones were taped in the ceiling and in the walls and and it was fun it was fun it was crazy and we didn't know if it was going to work and then all that material all downloaded into a computer and then jesus start watching the whole thing and figuring out how to piece it together that was another challenge but it was so much fun it just made the the, the pandemic worth it and and gave us like a an amazing answer to a question that we haven't even asked before uh, and it, yeah You you challenged yourself big time. Instead of saying, I can't because of the pandemic, you challenged it even greater than I am not going to say I challenged myself. I'm going to say my wife challenged myself and challenged me. And she (laughs) said, listen, dude, just do this. Stop with the excuses. I don't want to hear it's impossible. Just do it. Come up with a way of doing it. And there was no way out. We were quarantining. I couldn't even go out. So I had to, I had to do it. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to, uh, you guys doing your Q and a at the, uh, at the film festival. It's, it's coming up in like two months now. It's 60 days, literally almost. So oh, fantastic. And actually we're going, it's Mimi and I, and the other actor, Nina, Oh, nice. Who, who plays the, the, the daughter also coming. Unfortunately, Veronica passed away in January. Oh, uh, but and we would have loved to have her uh, in the Q and A via Zoom. She's a, she was a phenomenal uh, woman and an artist and a teacher and a coach. She was amazing. But the greatest thing of this is that we brought her. But Mimi brought her out from retirement and uh, made her act again. So she said goodbye with a serious piece of work. That is amazing. You should watch her performance. And with the newest technology and most innovative way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just opening the door to the future. Absolutely. She rocked it big time. So we're very proud that we gave her that opportunity to do as her last performance of her life. So Bravo. Yeah. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. What a gift for a filmmaker. What an what a you know, for a performer, that's quite an exit. But come on, for me was Come on, talk about being uh, lucky to have an 83-year-old phenomenal actor give her last performance to your your experiment and just go with it. I mean, fearlessly, you should see her. I mean, come on, come and see her. Her performance is brilliant. Yes, everybody come and see it. Well, is there any (laughs) last... This is very inappropriate after what we were just talking about. Any last words? <laughs> no, I'm not going to say any last words. I have those last words are going to, you know, in, in about uh, 47 years, I'll tell you the last words. <laughs> I have many words, as you can say. I tell many words to say, but just come on, celebrate uh, mobile filmmaking, join this festival, which is amazing. I congratulate you, uh, Susie, for this uh, pioneering and visionary uh, celebration of, of storytelling. And um, I don't know, I have to, I mean, we just have to keep pushing for this to 
to reach every single one, every single device. We we should, you know, connect the devices of everyone uh, to uh, your films, the films that you're showcasing in your festival, and and keep reaching, connecting, connecting people. Yes, that's that's, that's, that's the part. Well, welcome to the mobile filmmaking community, Luis. Thank you. Thank we you. We already love you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Susie, for having me. And uh, we'll see you in person in April in San Diego. You bet. Now, here's one little thing that we always do. Say goodbye to our listeners. Thank you, everyone, for being there, patiently listening to everything I just said. Uh, I hope. It, it was entertaining <laughs> and I hope you join us in celebrating storytelling in uh, alternative ways.